Welcome to Sundays with the Weekend Sober Gals. I'm Katia. And I'm Kim. Come check us out at our new day and time. We explore different topics of sobriety each week, ranging from friendship to motherhood. By sharing personal stories from our past, we talk about what it's like to thrive rather than just survive the weekends sober. Every week, every Sunday. I was just having this conversation with somebody last night. Oh, it was Jess because I was on her podcast last night. And it's amazing how when we were drinking, like I never would have obviously given a crap about this kind of shit. But also, like, I never would have learned how to do any of this. I never would have taught myself or cared enough to take the time or had the patience yeah or had the patience yeah. on youtube and learn like what is riverside like what are all these platforms like mm-hmm. how do you make a podcast i just never would have had yeah the um the yeah the patience the curiosity <laughs> yeah. 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 anyways um we are thrilled to have Madeline Forrest back here today with her mother, Megan. So thank you so much for being here. Maddie was saying that uh, the three of you have been sober, all got sober in 2020? November, 2020. November. November. Same month. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> we, were so all, we were all lurking in the same online recovery meetings. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Club. My mom mm-hmm. joined with me out of mm-hmm. solidarity. She would join the calls with me. Mm-hmm. Oh, my goodness. I love that. I hear yeah. that sometimes. I go to one TLC meeting a week right now. I go to a Friday night just to, like, keep things fresh, you know, and... Yeah. Uh, I hear that sometimes people will be like, oh, my sister is here who doesn't struggle with alcohol or whatever. Yeah. Some a support network. And I love yeah. that. Yeah. Did you, really and good. did either of you um, gals go to AA or was the, the TLC your sort of introduction to support group? Kim, do you want to go first? Yeah, I did not go to AA. Um, I did TLC and sober mom squad, um, both on mm. and I did not want to go to any in-person meetings because partly the time, you know, it was right back in the middle of the pandemic and, yeah. um, there were no in-person meetings at the time. I think, yeah. um, I don't even remember when they started doing AA meetings in person again. Um, oh, but, probably a year later. Yeah. Um, but I didn't have an interest in AA. AA. Um, and I've had this conversation with a few different people recently. Um, I just felt like I, I didn't want to go. I didn't want to go down that path. I, yeah. I really felt comfortable with doing a lot of it on my own. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I, I didn't like the idea of calling myself an alcoholic yeah. in the beginning. I didn't like that message. So I felt like, um, you know, right from the beginning, I said that I was sober Mm -hmm. and I felt like that was empowering, but Mm -hmm. the idea of calling myself an alcoholic felt a little bit like, um, what's the word? Maybe committing. Yeah. Yeah. Or like labeling. Labeling. Limiting. No, yeah. Self-limiting, but almost yeah. like was, um, pigeonholing me like maybe just kind of like, uh, 
Yeah. Me into a, a specific category, whereas I felt like I, I just didn't identify with it. So yeah, yeah, yeah. When Same you don't really know, sense. yeah, like if you don't really know how to define your own relationship with drinking, mm-hmm. and then you go into a program where they're saying that there's kind of more, or it seemed like there was more rules. Like I did try AA for off and on for probably like three months and I just couldn't nice. find a group that I resonated with yeah. so I went to TLC yeah and that worked. TLC TLC just felt what did you find different about um, TLC versus your experience in AA I'm curious I think it just felt more that you could go at your own speed mm-hmm. so like like you could show up to a meeting like and th- this was a good and a bad thing I would show up to meetings with my camera off for a long time yeah still probably a glass of wine in my hand listening to the meetings at at night because they said you could come and drink you just couldn't have your camera on so I took full advantage of that but Uh I didn't I didn't get um I didn't get sober during that time because I didn't connect with anyone like I didn't I didn't put myself out there I didn't put my name in the chat or like actually share part of my story and I think you know, as, as scary or as intimidating as it is, if you, until you do that, you aren't going to, you're still hiding in the shadows. So there's still an out. You can be like, oh, well, nobody knows I'm here. So I'm just listening and I can leave at any time. I don't know if that's what you found, Kim, but yeah, it's kind of, yeah. You, you, you in, the of, in the beginning of the luckiest. Well, yeah. Like, did you feel that you could just that it felt more like you could go at your own speed and you could come in and you could sort of like ease into sobriety. Yes. That That was, that definitely felt like that. I like that there were no rules. You could just Mm -hmm. keep the camera off. You didn't have to share. You didn't have to tell anybody you were there. I, um, I liked the anonymity of it. And in of it, even though Alcoholics Anonymous is supposed to be anonymous, I felt yeah. as if I, I, if I walked into an AA meeting in my town, I felt like everybody would know. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. that's what it yeah. felt like to me. And I also felt like there was so much n- negativity associated with the idea of going to AA in the sense that, like, I didn't want to be an alcoholic. I wasn't sure what I was at that point. I wasn't sure where I was going. I knew I didn't want to drink, but Mm -hmm. I really liked the, um, the idea of the TLC meetings in the sense that they were like, you know, one of their phrases at the beginning was like, we don't do dogma. We don't force you to follow any set of rules. Yeah. Encourage all paths of, um, recovery. So they had people in there Mm -hmm. that, you know, were, um, hardcore AA, people but at the same time there were others that you know advocated for other types of I think like she recovery was that one what were other I think so and one of their meeting leaders actually is AA background and I think he's got about well now close to 40 years of sobriety but so it was nice because people who had tried that or who maybe had tried that and fallen back out could come to one of his meetings and sort of feel a sense of home so it was never like that um, AA people were cast out or that we didn't yeah. agree they say no dogma no gurus you know anything like yeah. that but I think there was still a space for people because Megan you you did do or you do AA or you you I, got sober I, in AA I got sober in AA but okay I, so I did probably my first five years 
of mm. sobriety was um was in AA and then yeah. of course I got married was having babies and I just didn't yeah. have the space for it so and I had other I had other um other ways of sort of supporting myself at that point anyways like in your sobriety yeah mm-hmm. yeah so so I and I'm grateful that I left AA because I think AA mm. can become a really small um, can become a small life because it's very right. you are really tied to sort of your home group to showing up for those meetings and I think sometimes mm-hmm. it's hard to really develop a life outside of that right to really mm. I think it keeps you really ingrained in um kind of in your story even in your right? story and your drinking mm. um yeah like I that's how I found it anyways. I found that, <clears throat> you know, I just had uh, sort of the freedom to um, get on with being sober without the um, going back and looking at and evaluating constantly my, yeah. my you know, years of drinking. So it is interesting. Like I'll never bash any Maddie and I used to <laughs> <laughs> so many <laughs> conversations because you know when she first started talking about not labeling uh, which I personally found so much comfort in the label for me it was like oh, I've heard that before yeah oh, this is why I'm having so much trouble this is what it is this is what you know alcoholism mm. is and so that was really liberating for me yeah, it, I've heard know, that certainly before. wasn't something that Madeline identified with yeah. at all. So yeah, we've had some fun discussions <laughs> around that. But she was like sort of speaking in a way with, you know, all these books she was reading that was really kind of like, you know, from my perspective, because I feel like, you know, I I feel deeply grateful to AA, like deeply mm-hmm. grateful. And, you know, probably with Maddie, like, a little, very protective of it. Of yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> so anyways, but I, you know, I, I have come to really appreciate, like, her perspective. And I think, you know, I think a lot of people don't get sober or a lot of people struggle for way longer than they need to. Uh, because oh, yeah. Because I think AA has you know, the perception of what it means if you go to AA and you give yourself that label, like, I think it stops people because they don't, yeah, they don't identify with it. They don't want it. They don't want it to be that. I know some people personally who refuse to say they're, um, you know, an alcoholic, but um, Mm -hmm. they really continue to struggle I mean you know alcohol has really destroyed their their life so it's a big barrier mm-hmm. for sure and I think Madeline's approach or her viewpoint on it probably opens a lot more doors for people like what would you do right if you don't want to yeah. do that and, there's more options I mean, for and me, you think that's the only way then you're just not gonna yeah, do it. yeah and and there weren't really any other options for you 
for me. Yeah. Like, you know, there's no such thing as TLC or those. Yeah. Kinds of so so there's more, there's more freedom in mm-hmm. yeah. having those options, even like, you know, you guys obviously get messages in your inbox on Instagram and whatever. And people are like, thank goodness I found, you know, the sober community space. Mm-hmm. And for, for me, that was where I started out too. I didn't go to TLC meetings right away. I had to kind of mm-hmm. like dip my toe in the water, see that other people, especially women were doing this. Cause I was like, women, like the word alcoholic and women and a woman didn't go together for me. Like, I felt like it was such a, I don't know if it was my generation or our like later generations where it was just like, and maybe it was because it was originally a man's club or, or whatever, but I just felt like I was like, this isn't me. As I learned about the whole spectrum of alcohol use disorder, I was like, okay, so there are parts of things that I was doing that were drinking. I was drinking in alcoholic ways for sure. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. it was just that at the time when you don't have the knowledge that there is a program or sorry, not a program, uh, um, a way of living your life where you can choose not to drink alcohol, but you don't have to define yourself as an alcoholic. Like yeah. that was like this huge epiphany. Cause I was like, yeah. oh, I can do this. And it was really liberating to be yeah. like, okay, I can embrace this part of me and I can choose. And for people yeah, listening to the show, anything. you, yeah. right. You can choose yeah. not to drink and not be a daily drinker. You can mm-hmm. choose not to drink and you could be a binge drinker who drinks mm-hmm. once a month. But when mm-hmm. you do drink, it's problematic. So, yeah. 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 You know, as much as I said, like I found it um, really comforting to, you know, to have that label. I will say, (laughs) when I first went into AA, so as Maddie has said lots of times, I was 21, and it was definitely a, you know, a man's club, and Mm -hmm. um, not a lot of women. Certainly not a lot of um, people my age. Well, nobody my age, um, where I was in, in the area that I lived in but anyways um there was an old Scottish guy in there I say old my god he would be younger than me now probably in his like mid to late sort of 40s but I'm 21 mm-hmm. I was old at the time now it looks pretty young but anyways um we would go around and you know you'd have to say your name and I would just say I'm Megan and I wouldn't say you know I'm Megan I'm Megan and I'd, I'd pass. And so, you know, he kind of gave me a, and I never spoke ever, like mm-hmm. ever in a meeting. Ever. In your whole five years? No, never. Wow. And oh, so, I never knew that, Mom. No, I never did. They didn't make you, they didn't, see, I, that was a misconception. I thought you had to no, you don't have share to. at some point. You don't ever have okay. to share. You can pass, you can pass forever. If you Learn something pass, new but, every time. Yeah, but I would chat with people, of course, before and after, and I had a sponsor. And um, anyways, this guy was starting to get annoyed with me in a really thick Scottish accent and really big, thick, black glasses. I can still see him so perfectly. (laughs) And every week he'd yell at me. I can't do a Scottish accent, so I'm not even going to try. But he would yell, you know, are you an alcoholic, Megan? And I I would say nothing. (laughs) you know and then <laughs> we'd move on and then I started to like feel panicked like, oh, see, oh that, that makes me sweat me, oh. Oh. Right? Yeah. and so you know finally finally but at that point it felt like a real standoff and like I didn't want to lose to the rebel yeah even though yeah. I knew 
that I was and I liked knowing what it was I was just so mm. pissed at this guy that he was gonna make me say it <laughs> don't tell me what I have to say yeah. <laughs> Anyways, eventually I, I had to give in. I didn't have to, but I did because I couldn't take the breathing anymore. But, yeah. Ugh, what a jerk. Funny, eh? <laughs> I know. I know. Yeah. Oh my Anyhow, it's funny. So I think, yeah, it's, um, you know, it was certainly a lifesaver for me, but I'd love that, you know, because what would you do? You'd still be drinking. But you know what, Mom? Know. I think you kind mm-hmm. of, without knowing it did both ways because you did the AA route and it got you sober yeah but then you went on and lived your life and just like modeled a sober life and like didn't like you know what I mean you didn't stay stuck in that like you weren't you didn't not to say people who keep going to AA are stuck but you you kind of just used it to get you sober and then just went and lived as a tool that's that's exactly what it is you can take what what do they say in AA take what works and leads the rest so I believe like I believe you can take from different sobriety modalities and Mm, implement the things that work for you like for me I needed a really good morning routine for example because like my mornings were such chaos when I was drinking especially when I was a single parent and so for me I kept that the whole way but there's been things that I would do in the beginning of sobriety that I don't do anymore you know and Mm. I think and and things you must have in that five years obviously picked things up from AA that were very useful or that yeah. helped you to understand mm-hmm. the reasons why you were drinking and maybe your triggers or things like that yeah. that you could use. Well, you know? I grew up too with an alcoholic father and a mother who was in um, Al-Anon. So I was really mm. well, I had been to Alateen. I'd mm. been to Al-Anon meetings before. So I was really, yeah. uh, you know, I understood the 12 steps. I, I understood wow. what alcoholism was I knew what I didn't want to be you know like in terms of uh behavior like my how I wanted my sobriety to be because my dad was in and out and in and out of Mm. and that's why you really had one day one yeah because you watched him go to AA and then say no I'm fine I'm not an alcoholic and then be back out drinking yeah and you were like I'm never gonna do that well no yeah you can't say yeah and then all of a sudden you're not yeah so then when you went to (laughs) AA that was it so she had like one day one for that reason yeah yeah like as a kid I was really bothered by that yeah like don't tell me this is you're this and now you're not this anymore so it was great because it it really informed my own uh, sobriety like how I did it it was like Mm. and going into my first AA meeting I remember stopping in the hallway I was with a woman who actually my uh, dad had taken to AA a family friend taken her to her first AA meeting and then my dad never stayed (laughs) but she did she stayed in AA and remained sober you know forever so she took me to my first AA meeting and I remember like waiting outside that door. I was like, I can't go in yet. Because for me, it was like, oh my God, if I mm-hmm. walk in there, this is it. I'm not going to be him. So right. it was a real moment of like, uh, Megan, you just, gonna- you just made me think of something and maybe possibly realize something about myself is I've been asked a lot recently and I'm, I'm working on another podcast. I'm a writer for um, a narrative podcast and currently writing the final episode of it right now. And the producer keeps asking me why 
I felt like the last, when I stopped drinking, why I felt like I, I could do it and why that was like my moment. And, um, I, I just knew I was never going to drink again. And I'm, you know, two and a half years sober. And I, yeah. I, I know I will never drink again. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't have that fear of relapse. I don't yeah. feel like I need to go to AA every day to make sure that I'm not going to drink. Like yeah. a lot of people do. Like, I just know that mm-hmm. I am steadfast. I'm strong. I feel good. Mm-hmm. But you know, the producer kept asking me, how do you, how did you know that was your last day? How did you know? And maybe honestly, it was because of my family past and my history and my, and my mom who struggled with alcohol as well. And maybe because it was, it was that, you know, I finally realized like what was happening to me and that I was, this is where my life is headed. I don't want that. Right. 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 You're not going to do that. You're not going to do that. Yes. Is your mom sober? Did she get sober? She's not. No, she still she still drinks. Yeah. Mm. So. And has she tried to get sober? Or... No. 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 Interesting. But I did go to Al-Anon when I was younger. I did ask her to stop drinking, but she never did. Really? Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah. So. So so what is what's your relationship like with her now? Um, it's curious. fine. <laughs> I don't often talk. It's very interesting. I don't often talk about my relationship with my parents. Um, you know, it's, it's, uh, she would not be sitting here beside me talking like you guys. So I'm very wow. envious of your relationship. Let's just put it that way. Aww. You are very, you, the two of you are very lucky. And I know yeah, I was so I'm excited when, when yeah, Tim was are. like, Oh, they're coming on the show. And I'm like, cause it's so <laughs> fascinating to me the dynamics of generational sobriety, because I think we're only coming into this. There's obviously generational alcoholism that's so prevalent, but a lot of those people in our families never got help or they were constantly relapsing or in and out. And I think now with the multitude of options that are available in sobriety, we're going to see more of this reversal of some of that generational trauma that we've carried. Mm -hmm. Like my daughter, she always says to me, I'm never going to drink. I'm like, she's eight. Right. And I'm like, okay. And now I'm pregnant with another baby. And I'm like, he's Ah. never fingers crossed. He's never going to see me drink. So it's like this whole emotional thing around that. And I'm like thinking about how different life will be for him versus my daughter, but for her to say that. And I'm like, I never want to be the type of parent that says you can't do that. Like I'm pretty open. I'm going to be like, you know, always let me know if you need a ride home from somewhere or you and your friends are stuck somewhere or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think she's just seen the way I've turned my life around because she was just turning six when I got sober. So she oh. does remember some stuff, you yes. know, and I think, yeah. um, and Kim, your kids were around like six and eight and eight like and 10. 10 or something. Yeah. So they, they, they remember. Yeah. Oh, six, they'll really remember. Yeah, six, six, eight, eight and 10. Yeah. 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 Wow. So there's such an opportunity to like change that narrative yes. because yes. we have more options available mm-hmm. to us. And mm-hmm. I think that's just such a a blessing, yeah. even Is for it? unborn children, you know? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I, I just got my hands on this book. I don't know if you've um, heard of it. We love book called... recommendations. Oh, <laughs> well, I haven't, I haven't like read the 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 whole thing yet I've just sort of read the first um few pages of it but I'm fascinated by it because it's called um it didn't start with you and Mm. it's about um 
Uh, like generational the, trauma. Yeah. Like generational trauma. And and so talking about, and this just really sort of blew my mind because I never thought about it like this. But so there's three, when your grandmother mm-hmm. is pregnant with your mother, yeah. your mother as a five-month-old fetus carries you like all in her, her eggs. All of her eggs. So there's three generations. So it's talking about like cellular trauma and the things yeah, that get passed yeah. on that we don't even know about. And so I find it, it's like, what is it called? Epi, epi, epigen, epigenome, epigenetics, epigenomes, yeah. Yeah. Epigen- yeah, something like that, right? But anyways, it's fascinating. And it I think my mother always talked about, you know, said to me all the time, like, Megan, break the pattern. Like there's mm. generational patterns here. So her mom was so ahead of her time. Yeah, <laughs> my was. granny. So her really? grandmother would have been a drinker, her grandmother. And her grandmother, I think, was put in a psych ward for her drinking. Wow. And then her father was a drinker. Her um her sister also a drinker my mother married a drinker like alcoholic sorry yeah. I should use mm. I don't like except for me <laughs> <laughs> so, so anyways just these generational patterns and then you know she would always say to me don't repeat the pattern like don't marry an alcoholic and I was like got it and then I just <laughs> <laughs> right she but, was yeah, so ahead of her time, though. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I, that's that's really interesting. I'm gonna have to get that book. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, but it's it's, it's really true good. though. You do carry those. When I got pregnant with my daughter, I was in active uh, drug addiction, and I stopped mm-hmm. while I was pregnant. But totally different pregnancy to this one. And then my drinking wasn't really an issue then, and that took off after because of issues um in postpartum but just thinking about yeah like some of the the things that her and I have been through and how different our lives are now and I'm like my son because my husband doesn't drink he could take it or leave it he's just like what do we call like a normie like (laughs) he doesn't drink for two years and it's like he doesn't care and I'm like how do you just not drink for two years and not celebrate yourself and be like oh my god I'm sober like I just don't feel like a drink so you know but I think this just it's just interesting to see the generations and how Mm -hmm. we do have so much power to reverse that you know yeah yeah yeah. yeah. Megan, yeah, I, have a, I have a question for you. Yes, when for sure. um so you have Maddie and then you have two other daughters, right? Yes. Yeah. So yeah. when your girls were, you know, turning 21 or, you know, getting old enough to drink, did 19 you 19 is the drinking age in Canada? Oh shit. I didn't realize that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so when they turned 19, were you worried? You know, or even like 15, 16, as they were getting to that age. Um yeah. What were you thinking? You know, I, I remember Maddie sort of talking to us about it on the first episode when she was on, you know, a few weeks ago or a month ago, whatever. Um, but I want to hear from you and your perspective on what it was like to raise three girls, teenage girls, Yeah. Um, you know, as a, you know, someone who gone through AA had a husband who struggled with alcoholism. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We were so, just talking about that earlier, yeah, <laughs> like an hour ago, we had a really unique 
yeah. situation. You go. <laughs> so, so, um, my, uh, it, like my husband had many addictions. Let's just say that. <laughs> and, um, uh, you know, it's always tricky because, uh, of course, I just want to be respectful of, uh, you know, of his privacy. But, um, you know, he's in recovery now. He's a big AA guy. And um, anyhow, so he had a, a lot of addictions. And he wasn't actively drinking during our marriage. But, you know, he certainly wasn't um, very uh, present. And so uh, there was, you know, a lot of uh, turmoil in uh, in that marriage. So uh, I think what happened when the, when he did start drinking again and the marriage ended, that was like a hard line in the sand for me. <clears throat> and so when that ended, I think um, a really unique thing happened with me and my three girls. So they wouldn't have been teenagers yet. They would have been like 11, 10, and 9. Not younger even. Eight, even younger, maybe 8, eight 9, nine 10. 10. Yeah. And so, um, you know, I think, and so he wasn't, he was off now in the throes of uh, addiction. And so it really created kind of a circle the wagons mentality with us. And so the four of us girls, it was just an all girl house here. And um, I had decided I'm not going to date. I'm just going to, I'm going to raise my kids. I tried dating once and it was too much of a emotional pull. And I was like, no, I'm just going to focus on raising my kids. And when I'm done that, when they're all kind of away in university, then I'll worry about, you know, dating. So we had this really, really, really tight knit uh, tight knit thing going on. So I have heard, listen, I was a nightmare of a teenager. <laughs> and I always say, Oh my God, thank you, Lord. I didn't have to raise me like a me. Like I, I like, thank you. My kids and, and people will often say, Oh girls, they're so hard. They were the easiest most delightful human beings to spend time with and raise. So I feel like I got off scot-free. We didn't really have a lot of, like, I'm. it's not perfect. I don't mean that, but I just mean, you know, so I had the rule, do whatever you want, except for heroin. <laughs> That was for alcohol. I know. I'm laughing because I would often tease with Sasha all the time and say, like, do whatever. We knew the alcohol, but don't do. That was no alcohol, no drugs was no one. Yeah, that was my only requirement. And I think I'm like, I hate rules. I'm not a rule person, not a structure person. So, you know, there wasn't a lot of tension around things like that in the home but it was the drinking piece and what can I say like I I, I trusted them implicitly mm-hmm. nobody drank we all I, followed the damn rule until yeah. the day that you can have a drink yeah. <laughs> and no yeah. one used to believe you when you would I tell know. them that they would like roll their eyes and be like yeah okay sure <laughs> but like none of us really yeah did. they didn't but I think it's I think and so Madeline and I were talking this morning I think if I had stayed married 
it probably would have been a completely different scenario. Mm -hmm. Sorry, that away again. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, I don't think that they would have been. I think it was probably a little more unnerving because they didn't have a father around. And so what if we disappointed her? What if she leaves? I think it's that. It kind does. Of it does create that different it bond does. with well, I have a daughter and the same thing. I feel like she's so close to me now. Yeah. Yeah. in a different way like and my met I met my husband when she was three and a half yeah. so he's been around a long time but he was here in the states and we were in Canada waiting to immigrate and then oh. um COVID hit so we're Canadian right, right? and and we're right. waiting to move and in that time where he's building a relationship with us and he's like man like I think I I think I prevent not parentified I think I treated her like my friend and like an adult for a long time and so in some ways I did rob her of certain childhood experiences not anything major but just like when people meet her they're like she's so mature like she's so well behaved she's so and I'm like they're like what did you do and I'm like honestly nothing I just had to live my life and we had to live in a survival mode you know going to food bank and and trying to make ends meet and me struggling in active addiction spending all of our money on alcohol mm. and and just trying to figure out how to and always knowing that I was a great mom but just you know when my husband finally came along it gave me the space and I had the opportunity to actually step into what I knew I already was but I couldn't yeah. do it when I was you can't do it when you're in mm. active addiction or mm. even when you're with someone who is struggling that way it's mm -hmm. very draining mm -hmm. so yes. yeah. yeah yeah gosh that's a lot you had on your plate. Yeah. <clears throat> mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. oh. I, I find, um, I think I, the thing around my kids not drinking for me uh, was because I was such a train wreck through high mm -hmm. school with drinking. And um, I think I suffered greatly. And so I really felt like I don't want that for my kids. Like I don't want them yeah. to go through all the stuff that comes with drinking. Um, when you're so young and yeah. I always thought you know what they can drink when it's legal when they're 19 they can drink and um you know I sort of had open conversations always like when you do drink pay attention to how you feel like do you have a shut off valve do you like notice notice how you feel when you're drinking what's your relationship to alcohol like but I was saying, like we were talking about it this morning, that I've often wondered if I should have done that or not, if I should have let them drink, um, like would they have felt more a part of, you know, their peers if they were drinking, if they, so we were just talking mm -hmm. about that. Um, this morning what the right way is to do it and I don't oh, yeah. like, listen there's no right or wrong way mm -hmm. we all just sort of have to do the thing you know we all know our kids we all do the thing mm -hmm. that we think is right in the moment but I sometimes wonder if I could do it all over again would I would I have would I've sort of drawn that line I don't know like where are you ladies at with that what what are your thoughts around it my daughter says she never wants to drink, but, yeah. but we have conversations. Kim and I have talked about this. Like my daughter used to say stuff like, she'd be like, people who drink are bad. And I would say, mm -hmm. that's not, I'd sit her down and I'd have a conversation. I'd say, Harper, it's, it's not, 
bad it, drinking or sorry, people who drink aren't bad. I said, there's some people like mommy who make bad decisions when we drink and therefore we've decided that it's better for us not to drink because she, as a kid, you see it in black and white, I think. And you just kind of, she saw me struggling with that and she kids see it in their own ways. Cause she'd be like, Oh, mommy always used to fall asleep early. Like, Oh, okay. I drink my wine and I'd pass out early. Right. But she was just like, you used to eat chips and fall asleep early or whatever. And it's just like, <laughs> you know, but like for me, I'm like, me and my husband are both pretty open that we're like, we're going to give our kids the opportunity. He was never, he was never a big drinker. He's never smoked a cigarette. He's never smoked weed. He's never done anything. Right. Yeah. But he's been around people who have, and so he's aware of it and he knows what I've been through. And we just kind of decided you know, we're not going to encourage, um, some parents want to be friends with their kids through high school and stuff. And they want to be, my ex's mom wanted to be the cool mom and she wanted to drink with her kids, friends and stuff like that. And I think there is a line where you still have to be mm-hmm. a parent mm-hmm. because it was to their detriment. All of them went through their own issues with addiction because yeah. of it. Yeah. You know, yeah. what about you, Kim? Um, you know, I think every kid is obviously different. I have three very different children. Um, my 12 year old son is extremely impulsive. Um, he's perceptive. He's, he was aware of what was going on with me two and a half years ago. Um, but he's also the kind of kid that gets, um, affected by peer pressure and he wants to fit in. He wants to be friends with, you know, certain people and he'll do things just to get a reaction out of other children. And he's not the smartest when it comes to making those kinds of decisions. And he has done stupid things on social media just to get a reaction. And, um, I can see that translating into, um, something worse as he gets older. Um, like I said, he's extremely impulsive and, you know, I, I parent in a, in the way that like, I am just super open. (laughs) I tell all my kids, everything that's going on with me, they know, um, you know, in our house, we have the, the phrase, like there are no secrets. Um, they listen to all my podcast episodes. Like they, want to read my book. I mean, my book is a little heavy, but, um, I, I I did write it so they would read it one day. Um, I want them to know what I've been through and want them to know everything, um, that I've experienced and all the Mm -hmm. the hardships. And I think that, um, it's important for them to understand, you know, what their mother has experienced and that they, you know, that it is possible for them to also struggle with alcohol. Mm-hmm, um, yeah. but at the same time, I can't tell them. Yeah. Like I can't say you can't drink because mm-hmm. they have to figure it out. Mm-hmm. And it does scare me because I, I started drinking when I was 14 and I yeah. when they say that that does play into it. If you start drinking at a younger age, when your brain is still developing, mm-hmm. um, So I I started blacking out like regularly at a very young age. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't want my kids to be doing that. So yeah, I will make sure that (laughs) my kids are not doing that every weekend. My parents were not checking on me like that. Um, 
they were, they were going through their own marital struggles. And I think that they were preoccupied. Mm -hmm. So I would like to think that in terms of, you know, monitoring my kids' behavior as they get older, um, I'll have more of an open line of communication. Uh, and that's something that I think my parents' generation just didn't do a good job. I don't think that they talked to us. I think that it was very much like turn a blind eye. Let's just hope they're not doing what (laughs) they're doing. And, um, like I said, my parents were struggling with their own stuff. So, um, I'm hopeful that, you know, I love that you are open with your kids. I think Mm -hmm. that's everything because, Like my parents were super, super, super open. Like we would have discussions at the dinner table all the time when I was growing up about my dad's drinking and, you know, why Mm -hmm. he drinks. And, um, you know, my mom was really, really talked a lot about, you know, we're not responsible for his drinking Mm -hmm. and, um, uh, talked a lot about, uh, codependency, talked a lot about um separating the person from the problem like we you know we love our dad but we don't love you know the drinking or who he is when he's drinking kind of thing so it was always an ongoing uh conversation um in our house so I think you know my mother without saying to me you can't drink and thank god because I I was such a rebellious kid I think if she pushed back really hard on me, I, I, I think she would have lost me and then I would have been lost. Mm-hmm. Right. <clears throat> so, so she would, um, you know, tell me all the time, like, I support you as a person, Megan, but I don't support your choices. Like I always support you. I don't support your choices. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I was never afraid to tell her anything any anything I did any trouble that I was in I could always talk to her I knew she wasn't going to judge me but um she made sure that we all understood what alcoholism was like Mm -hmm. you know she so funny she would like we had a family bulletin board she was a kitchen my mom my mom was a teacher (laughs) and so um, you know, there, there would always be articles posted up, but she would never say yeah. but we would always look, you know, your eye would be caught when you saw something new on the bulletin board. Never. Yeah. So it would be up. There would be little articles there or subliminal uh, messaging. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, right. And she would talk to me. And then I worked for my dad for a while. And um my dad was a lawyer. And I worked in his office um, before I got before I got sober. And my dad was a binge drinker. And so when I was working for him, um, he would come in sometimes drunk into the office and clients would be waiting. Or he wouldn't show up at all and clients would be waiting. And so, um, so stressful for you. <laughs> yeah. But I, again, you know, I just always had really incredible conversations with my mom, um, about alcoholism. And I think all of those things, all of those conversations, um, enabled me to make the choice I did at 21. Right. right? So I feel like if she had been trying to manage me, I mean, 
you know, if I was going to be doing it, well, I was doing some pretty stupid things, but, you know, um, as much as, um, like she, you know, they weren't hands off, like there were, there were, um, you know, boundaries in place. Of course I crossed them all, but, you know, there was something <laughs> to try to reach for, <laughs> to try mm -hmm. to aim to, um, that's, to reach that's for. a good point though, because if you're like, my daughter is like your eldest son, Kim, like she, and, and the kids now are raised in a generation where there's social media, right? And there's so much yeah. access to so much outside influence and so much misinformation mm -hmm. and peer pressure and stuff that we didn't even have in my generation. And so I think about like, she, if I push her too far in something, I see it already at the age of eight. Like, I just mm -hmm. know this about her is that she's just going to, she gets sneaky and finds another way of doing it. Yeah. And it's not because she's a, a bad kid or anything like that, but it's in her nature to want to know. If I say, here's this envelope, but you can't open it yeah. for 20 years or something, <laughs> she's going to yeah. find a way to open it because yeah. she's just curious or she feels like she's missing out or something. Oh, yeah. I don't want her to feel like she's missing out. Sorry, yeah, she has so. an alarm or a phone call going That's okay. On. Yeah, like my I have screen time um uh like oh um what's it called for Brayden's phone limits limits that's the word yeah um <laughs> and so yeah like he can only use Snapchat for twenty minutes and you know uh, TikTok for ten minutes or whatever but I forgot so in you know he has his phone in his room but he shouldn't at night he. I saw that he was up super late. I'm like, what the heck is he playing? All his apps have limits. He doesn't have, I don't know what he's on. I checked it and he was mm -hmm. on Pinterest at like 11 o'clock. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, it's not the app I could play on. I'm like, because like, oh, you need so to play. You just wanted to do something. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. were you doing arts and crafts? Like, what were you doing? <laughs> Oh my God. Learning how to cook a meal on Pinterest. Yeah. Like oh, he, it, because he needed to, to be on something. But yeah. I mean, he's been, just like, so like, that's the thing. He's like that addictive personality. Like he needs to be like on a screen. I'm just, oh my God. But I, but I think as parents, so even, yeah, honestly, right. Everybody. And I think we can set an example, even by doing, by having this podcast and by having these conversations, like, our kids pick up more than we give them credit for because my daughter will come out with something like she'll be like, Oh, mommy, wasn't your two year sober anniversary sober anniversary in November. And I'm like, I should know that word, first of all. And yeah, it was. You know? and I'm like, because she she just listens. And my mom will cut out articles. Even now she's 75 years old and she'll mail me articles of things to reach Aww. the retired teacher librarian. So say, Aww. when you were saying about the bulletin Aww. board, I was like, that's so familiar. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think can they pick I, that up. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And can I, can I ask Kim, can I circle back around to your mom? Do your, do your kids, so they saw you as a drinker and they see your mom as a drinker, I'm assuming, yes. And what is their, how do you frame that for them? And what's their take on it? Um, that's a good question. So they, um, my mom doesn't really drink a ton in front of me anymore. Mm -hmm. um, but 
you know, my kids see a lot of people that still drink, you know, the drink and my husband doesn't really drink much anymore, but they, you know, he'll have a beer or something every now and again in front of the kids. And they know that, um, you know, alcohol just wasn't good for mom and mm-hmm. dad is okay. You know, drinking mom didn't like the way it made her feel. And I, and I often say that, um, you know, it made me more sad or more angry or more, you know, I didn't really have good control over my emotions or, you know, when I was feeling sad, I would, it would make me drink. And then I would drink more because it, I, I thought it made me feel better. You know, so I would try to explain it to them that way. Whereas dad didn't drink because he was sad. He just, likes the way it tastes and he could drink half of it and not feel like he needed to have more. <laughs> um, and they, they actually are, were able to be like, Oh yeah, you would act really weird when you drank mom. <laughs> like they, when I was drunk or at least my oldest did, um, they don't ever really see my mom enough to see a change in her behavior or to see her drink multiple glasses. Um, she lives two hours away. We see her a handful of times a year, usually around holidays. And she makes a point to not really drink around us. Um, so there's that, you know, I think, um, they just see her as, you know, someone else that just has a glass of wine and they don't understand or know anything, any different. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I think that in terms of, um, my relationship with her is just sort of, yeah, it's like somebody said boundary earlier. It's just sort of like one of those things that I've kind of created for myself and, um, just self-preservation and, um, you know, it's, it is what it is at this point. And I'm just kind of doing what I can to protect myself and my sobriety. And, um, yeah, yeah, it's, it's unfortunate that, um, that it is that way, but it's okay. And you keep like, you can't tell somebody to, to, to get help. Right. You can't. No. Mm-hmm. It's harder when it's your family too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I think yeah. who did we have on the show? Was it Meg that said that she was her mom's biggest drinking buddy. And so for them, she wrote the book intoxicating lies. And for them, they had to make significant changes in their relationship. And I think that is the case for, I knew, I know a lot of, quite a few people who drink regularly with their parents yeah. or their family members. So mm-hmm. that's why it's so interesting to have you and Madeline here and to be like strong women who are mm-hmm. sober and mm-hmm. who do like live the sober life together. Cause I think that's just so empowering because it's, it's kind of an old trope that, you know, the, the mom and, and daughter drinking or the mom yeah. and, or the parents and the kids, you know, yeah. it's just yeah. nice to have a change from that. Yeah, yeah. I feel like I was pretty close with my mom at one point and that was at like the height of my drinking. Mm-hmm. Um, we, used to, we used to drink together and um, that was, you know, after I had three kids, like three kids under the age of four, like they were all mm-hmm. little, I was in the wow. thick of it and, um, I felt like I connected really well with her over a glass of wine, right. wine. <laughs> um, yeah. And that is definitely in the past, but, um, but Megan, <laughs> did you ever feel like you were worried about your, you know, was there a point when you looked at Maddie and you were like, Oh no, like, did mm-hmm. you feel that way? And you wanted mm-hmm. to say something, but you couldn't. 
Well, it's interesting because like I think I always think it's important to say something when somebody's drinking is problematic for you, right? I think that the silence when we don't say anything about it, I think, you know, we all know, like, I think secrets kill people, yeah. right? I think that <clears throat> we're afraid to rock the boat. Like, I know, um, you know, when someone's drinking, um, particularly if you live with somebody and they're drinking, you might be upset with them, but the next morning comes around and it's like, okay, a fresh start. I don't want to rock the boat. I don't want to say anything to upset them in case they start drinking again. So we just kind of avoid or ignore it. And, you know, of course they always start drinking again anyways, and we don't say anything. So I think when something's really problematic and look, you know, that was one of the things that got me sober was somebody saying to me, your drinking's not okay with me. And um, I think it takes a lot of courage and a lot of love to do that. And I think often we don't. And I think it's really important. <clears throat> and so, um, because they already know it's a problem, yeah. right? Yeah. They know it's a problem. And it's like, we're participating in the denial and so I don't think we need to be saying to somebody, you have to go get help because they don't have to. They get to do whatever they want to do with it. But I think it's important to say your drinking isn't isn't healthy or your drinking impacts me. And because of that, this is what I'm going to do, you know, for myself or, you know, however you need to sort of set those boundaries. So with my kids, with Madeline, um, did I think Madeline drank too much? Yes. <laughs> was Madeline the one who would be like, but here's the thing. So when I was drinking, me drinking too much was like a tornado. I was a train wreck everywhere I went. And um, it's, Madeline was a really happy-go-lucky, easy breezy drunk. Um, and um, you know, she would, she would be trying desperately to stay awake, you know, trying to hold her eyes open and keep talking. They called me wine eyes. Yeah. Oh my God. I remember sometimes just walking up to a bouncer at a bar and being, and being like, you're not getting in because it was just <laughs> all over my face. Your eyes betray you. Yes. Every time. <laughs> But she was cheerful. She was up for whatever she was, you know, so I didn't relate to her in, in the same way, like for myself with, you know, disaster walking. Um, but did I, was I aware she was drinking too much? Yes. And was, this was my thought about it. Ooh, this doesn't look good. One day, one day, this is going to, you know, go in a, in a really wrong direction for her. And she'll have, because people would ask me often, do you think any of you, because both me and my ex-husband, you know, drinkers and um, my birth family, I'm adopted, my birth family, all oh, like my birth father died at 49. He's a drinker. His, um, it's all over both sides brother, of the family. Brother at 27 died just after he got shortly after he got sober like yeah, it's all over on her birth her her dad's side of the family my birth p 
parents. My mother's a terrible drinker. Anyhow, so did I think she was going to be in some trouble? Yes, 100%. Did she look like she was any, in, in any trouble at that point? No. Did I have um, any idea that she was suffering the way that she was? Not a clue. Because she just looked so happy. Yeah. You know, she was like a, she looked fine. And, and um, never really said anything to me. Maybe a little yeah. things here and there, like when I was in Australia and getting myself into trouble, but yeah. <laughs> otherwise like, yeah. Yeah. A couple of little things like you, you would only if something like... would happen, but that wasn't often. Yeah. Yeah. But, but probably if you had kept drinking like that, Maddie, like eventually the consequences, it, yeah. it would have shown eventually. 100%. Right? Yeah. Like I always believe that like, you can't tell by looking at the outside of someone's life how mm. like that inner turmoil because you talk a lot about that on your podcast and your page and stuff like that horrible anxiety and dread yeah. and like disappointment and shame that you would feel after every time you drank and it just but it got worse it kept getting worse so it's yeah. not you know yeah. alcoholism or however you define your relationship on that spectrum is progressive and it is you can't you can't you can only keep the outside looking like how you want to for so long before the cracks start to show you know like like Megan like you said people can say something to you and it's not like you're not thinking it so Maddie was you're everyone's feeling it and similarly my husband you know those Sunday mornings he would sit me down and he would say I think you got a little too drunk last night and it's not like I didn't know. It's not like I have that little voice. It's not like I wasn't completely overwhelmed with shame. I I was feeling it. I I dreaded those conversations. Crazy used to say like, do you remember what you did last night? Oh my God. (laughs) The worst do you remember what you said? Oh my God. Oh, ugh, it still makes that me- like that literally made <laughs> gives my whole body a reaction. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My whole body, like, uh, but like every time we had those conversations, they were slowly cracking me open. They yes. were slowly breaking me down. Yes. And I needed to hear that. And so it's like we and need truth tellers. We, we need, need tr- and that's why I feel like why we're doing this podcast, why we have these conversations, why we put our vulnerable selves out there, why I wrote my book. It's hard for some people to hear this stuff and to listen. And some people don't want to listen and they don't want to hear it, but you know, we're not responsible for their reactions and the way they take it. And if they're not ready to hear it, you know, but I always think it plants a little seeds, right. And so Mm -hmm. that when, when they are ready and we each have our own timing, right? Like you're not ready till you're ready. And, um, but I think it's still important. Like good for your husband, good Mm -hmm. for your husband, because it is important to hear that, right? Because I think it's easier to stay in denial, you know, even though you know, you think Mm -hmm. nobody else knows. Mm -hmm. And so you're like, all right. And and the people, and people enable you. And, but it's the ones that when you wake up in that morning or at 3am and you're feeling Mm -hmm. awful, you remember the ones who are actually willing to tell you the truth and mm-hmm. to be bold and people who love you will, you know, there's certain people in your life and you'll think back and you'll think, oh, I am really actually, 
I knew before they told me and I'm really glad that they said something because when you it's like me not using my voice at the TLC meetings well nobody knew I was there right I can hide in the shadows but I wasn't getting any better either things were getting worse so I think to have those like you said Megan those truth tellers is so important because those are the people who are going to help progress your journey into sobriety in a in a you know a faster way so Mm -hmm. yeah Um, can I um ask you did you uh, what's your relationship like with your mother was she a drinker no she's not a drinker she's not a drinker right she is now she's obsessed with my sobriety journey she's on my social media and she loves it but she and we don't even have alcoholism in my family you know so yeah wow oh that's awesome and was she aware of your drinking prior to she was she was actually she was the one who wrote me the email that got me thinking about quitting so Mm. that summer Mm -hmm. yeah wow she's your truth teller yeah she is my truth teller Yeah. yeah that's amazing that's great and your dad not a drinker either. Isn't that interesting? You think, but you think back into the family and it's got to be somewhere. Mm-hmm. But for me, it wasn't my parents. Mm-hmm. But I think my mom, she saw it and she sent me that email. And after that, I was like, I have to do something. Mm-hmm. 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 Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. So I am grateful you, to her baby. for that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah we're changing the narrative this is such a good conversation we don't ever talk about like the generational mm-hmm. whatever it's called what is it called yeah. generational. generational patterns I yeah think, right? yeah it's like traumas. Yeah, generational traumas that yeah. get passed down mm-hmm. right it is I so think that's important mm-hmm. I think it's important too because people want to people want to know that they're not inherently bad like that this this started somewhere in your experience in your genetics in your upbringing in your past that you're you didn't just one day wake up and say actually I really want to be an alcoholic today or I really Mm want to go out and ruin my life like for Mm -hmm. me it was a coping mechanism and then mom sent me an email called the elephant in the room Mm -hmm. and so my my Instagram account is called the sober elephant chronicles I never why you called it that oh I love that yeah so when I took that when I and I had she sent that email and I had started my Instagram account um under a different name on sober Instagram and she sent it and I was so pissed I remember I was at the gym with my husband that morning I was like (laughs) the audacity of her like saying that saying that I was passing out every she had been to visit me and Harper and like she found like some of my empties hidden and all this stuff I was so pissed off and I and he had never known me really as a drinker because he lived here in the states and I lived in Canada so I hid my problem from him so then when she sent the email, he just kind of listened to me vent about it. And he said, okay, so, so you're mad at her. And I was like, yeah, I'm really <laughs> mad at her now. So yeah, <laughs> I just remember being like, oh my God, like we have to do something Funny. about this. My mom is like flying off the handle. And in my heart though, I was like, no. he found like this garbage bag 
of, of uh, empties that I had like stuffed underneath uh, this other thing. And she had been staying with me in Harper for two weeks in Ontario before we came to visit James for the summer. And then she was cleaning out that room and she had already started piecing things together. Like she had noticed my behavior in the evenings. And then she was like, she sent this from a very loving place. But of course, until, like you said, Megan, until you're ready to hear it, you don't, Mm -hmm. you're not, you're going to find a reason to blame the person that was telling you it. And so I was just like, I don't want to hear it, but lo and behold. So that was in like, I think it was in June mm-hmm. and by November I was sober, like wow. my last day one. So obviously I, I, th- I kind of thought to myself, the jig is up. Like I was like, yes. if my mom notices, yeah. then the jig is really up because yeah. she would know me better than yeah. other people. Right. And I was like, I can't keep, and I, and I felt guilty too. Cause I was like, I was raising my daughter and struggling with that. So Wow. Yeah. So thank goodness she did that. But she now she loves taking credit for the fact the name of my account <laughs> is like, Chronicles. She's like, oh my gosh, that's that's because of me. So. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love that. Thank you. That's fantastic. So that's how that came to be. Did you start sorry, did you start drinking at a young age, Katsia? No. No, I started at like probably at 18 but it really became a problem when I was a single parent when I was in my early 30s yeah so I didn't start young had you been married or did you just no never okay all right we were together but we were both in active addiction and then when we split up he when we split up I continued like my drinking escalated Mm -hmm. and my drug use like I got over that but then He's still drinking and he's still, as far as I know, using drugs also. Yeah. So mine wasn't, mine wasn't an early start like, like Kim's was, but. Mm -hmm. You were 14. Yeah. 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 I think that's pretty standard from a lot of people. Yes. Yeah. 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 Wow. Fortunately. Yeah. High school. Yeah. High, through high school yeah mm-hmm. wow god look at you ladies well done. <laughs> thanks all well of us done. i know yeah. i know this has been a really wonderful conversation thank you both yeah. for coming oh, really for having us yeah, yeah i have to read your book next yeah mm-hmm. yes mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah i'm really interested madeline said it was yeah. really good oh thank you mm-hmm. so much yeah yeah <laughs> Uh-huh. Well, I feel like we could talk forever, but mm-hmm. <laughs> my oldest is going to be off the bus any minute. You don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> we can bring him into the conversation. <laughs> Thank you, ladies, so much for being here. Thank you. Thank you so much. Good to meet you, my guys. Yeah.